I didn't want to say what trap, but that pecker would have had a gun in my face. And he was an ass hair away from pulling the trigger. And he didn't. But he could have. And then I would have been dead. For what? Stopping some jerk-offs from playing dress-up? Flip, it's intel. Well, I'm not risking my life to prevent some rednecks from lighting a couple sticks on fire. This is the job. What's your problem? That's my problem. For you, it's a crusade. For me, it's a job. It's not personal, nor should it be. Why haven't you bought into this? Why should I? Because you're Jewish, brother. The so-called chosen people. You've been passing for a wasp. White Anglo-Saxon Protestant, cherry pie hot dog white boy. Hmm. That's what some light-skinned black folks do. They pass for white. Doesn't that hatred you've been hearing the Klan say, doesn't that piss you off? Of course it does. Then why are you acting like you ain't got skin in the game, brother? Rookie, that's my fucking business. It's our business. I'm going to get you your membership card so you can go to the cross burning and get in deeper with these guys. Right, partner? The following film podcast frequently contains adult content, including foul language and descriptions of adult situations. Spoilers for the films discussed occur often. Listener discretion is advised. Now take it away, Dr. Rausch. (laughs) They must be destroyed on sight! Welcome back to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, episode 153, and I'm your host, Lee. I'm happy to be talking to a true white American Russell, <laughs> and I'm joined by my co-host, who is a true white American, or, or so, so you think. You only yeah. know my voice. Daniel, if I would have known this was a clan meeting, I wouldn't have taken the motherfucking gig, Harper. How are you doing, sir? Are uh, you sure I'm white? <laughs> Well, I could actually see you. Unlike, and I'm not. Right, as, I'm not as fucking clueless as David Duke. I, at least That's, I don't think yeah, I am. I, I don't think so either. So, anyway, <laughs> I'm doing well. Thank you. So we were originally planning on doing two movies called Black Klansmen, but we figured we'd split them up between episodes. So we're going to be doing Black Klansmen, all one word, stylized with three Ks in the middle from 2018. Uh, it's currently nominated for several Oscars, is it not? Including Best Picture, yep. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we will get into uh, whether it merits that or not, and uh, just the overall merits of the film uh, here in a little bit. But first, we have some comments to go through. We have one uh, related to last week. If you might recall, Daniel, we had someone called Drain Mudvane 27 on one of our YouTube videos. <laughs> so another person who was basically suckered in, they were looking for free movies on YouTube to watch. And they thought, hmm, I'm going to find Radioactive Dreams and Cherry 2000 all compressed into an hour and a half. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm going to watch it on YouTube because I'm a dumb motherfucker who can't read a description and... Can't clearly tell that this is a podcast. So I pointed this shit out to him, and here's his reply. He says, nope, all I know is that you're an idiot that posts shit vids just for views and looks like you're doing a good job with all of your 4,000 hits, LOL fucking loser. So he's still going on this sort of trend. He's he's still he's still saying that uh, we're, do- we're just doing this for the views, and apparently I'm failing at the same time. So not only were we doing this for clickbait, we're bad at clickbait. Well, A, I'm happy we've gotten 4,000 views on that. But B, you know, it's not like even if these videos are monetized, I don't think that 4,000 clicks is, you know. It like won't give you shit. No. Yeah, it's a, it's like 10 bucks for like a million views or something. <laughs> like it's it, ridiculous. It's way harder now on YouTube to make money. And, and we never had a chance to start with. And here's my reply. If I posted videos just for views, in the 10 years or more I've been making videos... I'd have switched to cat videos or reaction videos long ago, you dumb fuck. Alcohol reviews and film podcasts generally don't draw viewers. I can't help it if you are too stupid to tell the difference between a feature-length film and a podcast about films on YouTube and are butthurt about that fact. Basically, you can't own up to it, so (laughs) fuck you. (laughs) 
I'm just kind of like, how how angry can, do you can can you get over like nonsense? Like you know, I clicked on it; it wasn't what I thought it was. Like you spent so longer, you spent longer arguing with me about you know this fucking you know podcast that you thought was a movie than I you swear spent to just go find the movie. It's, I swear the 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 troubled, distressed lives that the typical YouTube uh, user just must have. Oh my god, I'm I'm not getting this movie for free. I'm gonna complain. Oh, yeah, just <laughs> cry me a fucking river. It's just, I, I'm I'm now imagining this guy's like Ivanhoe from the film. That's sort of the, uh, <laughs> the mental image I'm gathering. <laughs> yeah, much more positive comment from Jeff Williams. He gives us our recommendation of the week, and this week it's nothing but a man from 1964. He says an intelligent and surprisingly nuanced character study of a railroad worker trying to break the cycle of neglect and abuse in his family. The independent film features an outstanding performance by Ivan Dixon in the lead and a solid debut from Julius Harris as his father. A sharp black and white cinematography is an added bonus. Mm, Sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Another one to put on the list. We did get a message from uh, Kai Clear, who has messaged a couple times now in previous weeks. Uh, basically saying that he gave us an iTunes review. He braved the shitty interface of iTunes to give us a review, so I checked. Now, I think maybe it just hasn't updated yet, and I couldn't see it. Or he's posting from somewhere other than the U.S. and Canada. So if that's the case, Kai, you can just private message me and let me know what region you're you're from, basically. And I can switch the, <laughs> I can switch the fucking regions <laughs> just so I can see the fucking review. But I did see another review that I wasn't aware we had. At least I don't remember reading this one before. And this is from our friend Darren Wilson from the Psychosomatic Podcast or the Psychosomatic Cast, whatever he calls it, whatever current week. <laughs> you're going to be on that soon. Soon, yeah, yeah. We've uh, talked. We, we've scheduled. I think uh, next weekend we'll uh, record. I don't know what his uh, production schedule is, but. He says, and he posted this on December 12th, 2018, so just a little while ago. He gave us five stars, so mm-hmm. thank you very much. And he says, you want it? They've got it. Horror, noir, western, 80s, sexploitation, fantasy, action, alcohol reviews, rad music shows. It's better to just look at their catalog and go down the rabbit hole. So thank you very much, Darren. Yeah, no, nice. Yeah, and I also noticed someone gave us a one-star rating, but they didn't leave a review. You are a coward. <laughs> That's all I have to say. <laughs> if, if I was going to one-star a podcast, I'd at least leave a review and leave my yeah. name. I think that was probably the projection booth, just uh, mm. just scared of us, you know. They are. They're so scared. We're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're encroaching on their territory, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so no, it's uh, Mike Murphy. Clearly, it's Mike Murphy. That fucking bastard! <laughs> what a crotchety old man. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, thank you very much, Darren, and uh, thank you everyone for the comments. Of course, you can always leave comments on our Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook, and uh, you know we'll we'll reply to them. So there you go, Darren. Darren, thank you so much. The check is in the mail. The check will be of the value of the total amount that Lee got for the four thousand views on the Cherry Two Thousand. Uh, video so yeah i hope you feel bad because it's the it's the money i'm not paying paul and daniel this month yeah yeah no Mm -hmm. i keep all the patreon money for myself though um (laughs) (laughs) moving on uh what we've watched in last a while i know you don't have anything i just wanted to briefly mention something and this was a recommendation from you from last week sure and so i checked it out uh russian doll and i loved it it's fucking great (laughs) I don't want to spoil it too much. Yeah, no, no. Like, seriously, just watch it. Just watch it. If you're listening to this, Lee and I both love it. Uh, I mean, we don't really do TV reviews here, but mm. this, the, I mean, this is, this would be worth us covering at some point. Like this, it, 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 it is indeed that good. It's one of the best things that I've seen in any medium in a while. The ads make it kind of look like it's, you know, kind of Groundhog Day, but, you know, kind of hipster Natasha Leone. Uh, mm. It is so not that. It is so much more than that. It kind of it satirizes looks, that sort of thing. It does. It does. Um, so yeah. anyway, the the less you know about it, the better. Just if you've got Netflix, you can watch it. Again, if you get to the end of the third episode and you're not hooked, um, I don't know why you're still listening to my voice. But you know, uh, you know, I, I, I would was, I would understand believing it at that point. But you know, I was hooked after the first episode. Honestly, I yeah, was like, no. okay. Natasha Leone, red hair, 
She somehow she has this like weird Estelle Getty from the Golden Girls kind of thing going on <laughs> that's somehow really hot at the same time. <laughs> Which is funny because Estelle Getty's character was Sicilian and she's Russian Jew basically, right? Yeah, uh, but somehow they sort of the same thing. You can sort of see her turning into that when she gets into her seventies. You know, this crotchety mm-hmm. old woman who smokes too much. And I mean, wow, okay. And I can't remember the last thing I've seen Natasha Leone in. Like it's it's been a little while. I mean. Yeah. You know, she it's almost like you know women run into this problem of they uh reach a certain age and then suddenly they know they no longer get to play the ingenue but they're not old enough to play people's moms yet and so therefore you know uh, hollywood's like oh, i don't know what the fuck to do with you one of the great things about this show is that it's almost entirely women writing and directing it you know which it, it, it makes a difference it is like you know really talented people who don't otherwise get to work as much suddenly you know it, it's it's a brilliant show Series yeah, it, it, and it felt like, like the, in the background there's like an episode of the L word going on or something like that. <laughs> there's definitely, you know, like you could see a more kind of normal, like so you could see kind of a a drama, like like kind of a dramedy kind mm-hmm. of thing, like a like a prestige TV drama happening without the sort of premise of this, just following these characters around. I think that's one of the things that makes it work. It reminds me of um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which yeah. you know, sort of has this. You know, sci-fi conceit, which uh, reveals character details and, and kind of reveals theme. But even without that, the kind of the, the the actual narrative of the film, the actual sort of characters and everything, would be compelling even without it. And that's you know something yeah, you don't just... see a lot. You know, they're they're very different in terms of kind of what they're trying to do. I'm not trying to make a, a but you know, I I've kind of rewatched that a little bit. And uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's simpler except for Russian Doll actually has likable characters. i'll leave it at that Uh, fair enough fair enough yeah uh so we're gonna break off we're gonna play some music and uh, some podcast promos probably one from psychosomatic podcast it's the least we could do i think we pretty much play it every week anyway almost yeah Uh, (laughs) and we're gonna come back with black Klansman. you ungodly warlock broadcasting from the cursed earth the Psychosemantic Ast. Let us face without panic the reality of our time, the fact that atom bombs may someday be dropped on our cities, and let us prepare for survival by understanding the weapon that threatens us. To have a, uh, an ignorant, uh, thin-skinned megalomaniac uh, who sends off uh, you know, Twitters at 3 a.m. if somebody angered him. The neo-Nazis turning up in Washington, D.C. to have a rally saying, Heil Trump. We talk about politics. I knew I couldn't trust you corporate greaseballs. We talk about movies. You can't come down here and arrest people just because of what they look like. Are you crazy? But that's police harassment. We talk about political movies. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. They're all around us and we never knew it. You can only see them with these special glasses. The Psycho Semanticast. You ungodly warlock.
Okay, Black Klansman, 2018. There's never been a black cop in this city. We think you might be the man to open things up around here. Hello? This is Ron Stallworth calling. Well, who am I speaking with? This is David Duke. Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. That David Duke? God. Last time I checked. What can I do you for? Well, since you asked, I hate blacks. I hate Jews, Mexicans, and Irish, Italians, and Chinese. But my mouth to God's ears, I really hate those black rats. And anyone else, really, that doesn't have pure white Aryan blood running through their veins. I'm happy to be talking to a true white American. God bless white America. The KKK is planning an attack. How do you propose to make this investigation? We'll establish contact over the phone. We'll need a white officer to play me when they meet face to face. You for the white race, Ron? Oh, hell yeah. So there becomes a combined Ron Stallworth. Can you do that? With the right white man, we can do anything. When's the last time they let a rookie lead an investigation? Oh, that's right. Never. <laughs> okay. Become his friend. Let's get invited back. So what kind of stuff you guys do? Cross burdens, marches. This is fixing to be a big year for us. You asked too many questions. Are you undercover or something? We must unite and organize to fight racism. Are you down for the liberation of black people? Power to the people. All power to all the people. All power to all the people. It's right system. For you, it's a crusade. For me, it's a job. You're Jewish. That hatred, doesn't that piss you off? You're taking this Jew lie detector test. Why are you acting like you ain't got skin in the game? I'm telling you, the wars are coming. Black power! Black power! Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. That's us, Stallworth Brothers. We're on a roll, baby. America first. America first. America first. If I would have known this was a clan meeting, I wouldn't have taken this mother. Directed by Spike Lee. Written by Charlie Watchell. David Rabinowitz. Okay, that's a mouthful. Rabinowitz. Rabinowitz. Okay, Kevin Wilmot uh, <laughs> and Spike Lee. And based on the book by Ron Stallworth. Uh, it is starring the son of Denzel Washington, John David Washington, it's Detective Ron Stallworth, Adam Driver, uh, emo uh, Darth Vader himself as Detective Philip Flip Zimmerman, Laura Herrer as uh, Patrice Dumas, uh, Topher Grace as David Duke, Alec Baldwin as Dr. <laughs> Kenny Brew Beauregard. Beauregard. Yeah, Beauregard. Oh, Jesus, that was... That was something because I, I watched two versions of this. First, I was watching this on Put Locker, and that mm-hmm. that part's cut off. And then I remember, oh, oh shit, I, oh shit, I have this available to me on another service thanks to Gary Hill. And oh, yeah, and that was I was surprised. Um, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. as Mr. Turrentine, Jasper Pakunin as Felix Kendrickson, Ryan Eggold as Walter uh, Beachway, Paul Walter Hauser as Ivanhoe, Ashley Atkinson as Connie Kendrickson, and there's some other people here. Uh, Nicholas Turturro's in this as Walker. That's a that's a name I haven't seen in anything in a while. Yeah, um, yeah. and Harry Belafonte, who's uh, been on this podcast before. Uh, yep. Yeah, is a nice little role the as World Jerome the Turner. Devil in the Flesh. Is that the title? Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. We have a little synopsis here. All the synopsises on IMDb were kind of bad this time around, but uh, this is the <laughs> best one. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. uh, Ron Stallworth, an African-American police officer from Colorado Springs, successfully manages to infiltrate the local Ku Klux Klan branch with the help of a Jewish surrogate who eventually becomes its leader. No, that didn't happen. Based on actual (laughs) events. Anonymous. (laughs) So I'm glad you didn't sign your name to that. Okay, A, uh, he is sort of offered the leadership position, but doesn't take it. And uh, this is not in any sense based on a true story. No. Although, uh, Although it is based on a book that claims to be a true story. Um, and you know it's uh, you know it, it's it's not surprising that our that our uh, 
IMDb synopsis writer fell for that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one of the things about the film that uh, <laughs> it's probably worth getting out of the way fairly soon. See that? Um, see that would be an interesting twist if the cop that he's using as a surrogate suddenly becomes a leader of the Ku Klux Klan for real. That'd be like <laughs> wow. That'd be like an M Night Shyamalan thing going on there. It's I was a Nazi at all all the time, you know. Like <laughs> it turns out that the that the uh, that the cop who was infiltrating the Klan ended up being David Duke in real life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or or it's kind of um oh what's that what's that fucking uh movie where the, the cop was a, a mobster and 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 then there's an undercover cop as well uh oh you're thinking of the departed the departed yeah what if it was like or, the departed? or infernal affairs you know infernal like affairs yeah, yeah. It, it sounds like i mean i could see a kind of crime drama built around that that narrative actually it does mm. it does sound uh you know Set it modern day, and uh, yeah, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot there. Yeah, no, I get it. I'm yeah. Uh, so, yeah, as you mentioned, Daniel, this, this is based on Star Wars book, and a lot is changed for dramatic purposes and to honestly open up more lines of conversation i think yeah i mean i mean i don't think there's any surprise i mean i put this on my my best of the year list from last year i do like this film a lot i have deep problems with it but i do like it a lot the film takes significant liberties from the book from what i understand i have not read the book but i've kind of read you know people talking about it but the book is not really all that accurate to the real history it seems like stallworth was kind of writing a version of events that made him look cool as opposed to you know I, I, sort of telling get, a, uh, a real story you know yeah i get the sense that a lot of this was a lot the, a lot of the real story was more of the you know boring day-to-day police work kind of stuff you know yeah. like and, and it's not like he did necessarily a lot from what i can gather he maybe had one phone conversation with david duke in real life yeah yeah i mean it's like literally one one phone conversation and you know the, the, you never had that kind of like uh connection that you see in the film and you know apparently he and again i have not read the i have not read the book so i can't you know kind of comment directly on that but apparently he claims that you know the connections to like the norad guys that's in the movie and the uh you know sort of the oh, we had to burn the file at the end, and that's why there's mm. no corroborating evidence for any of this, because, you know, ultimately, you know, everything got burned, and far be it for me to take David Duke's word on this, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it does seem like this is, this is there's there's a lot more fiction to this than, than reality, and yet it, it manages to illustrate a lot of um, kind of real kind of things that are kind of going on in the culture around that time, which I think is what makes it worth talking about. But yeah, no, the, the, this is not, I mean, the, the film claims to be a true story and it's just, it's just not, it's just yeah. absolutely not. And I think kind of, even though it's sort of promoted that way, Spike Lee makes it pretty apparent right off the bat where he's like, this is based on a real motherfucking a real, real motherfucking story or something like that. Like he repeats right. it a couple times in a line just to make a point that, yeah, it's kind of bullshit. But I liked it a lot. I think Lee does a pretty good job of walking this kind of deft type rope act, walking the line between serious drama and comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, often the comedy is used to show how buffoonish these racists can be. But at the same time, he flips the switch pretty quickly where you just see how fucking evil these motherfuckers are too like i think it's fairly effectively done oh yeah very well done and how dangerous they are particularly Mm -hmm. like there's one sequence in a basement that (laughs) i mean it turns on a dime between you know this really dark black comedy and you know an actual physical threat and Mm -hmm. certainly on the on a first viewing it's it's like riveting you know you just don't know where things are going to go from here it does kind of get that sense of anything can happen in this moment you know like it doesn't doesn't feel safe in the way that a a lot of other films of this kind could be i feel like at the same time the tone he uses kind of hurts it as well because i mean this is really easy for critics who you know who are on the the racist side of things to attack or just critics who want a more kind of serious tackling of subject matter, you know, it's kind of a damned if you do damned if you don't kind of thing. in, 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 in this case, I do enjoy it though. Like it's sad to say, like, for the most of most of the film, it it's kind of it. I, I want to say Spike Lee was trying to pull a bait and switch on the viewer because a lot of this movie almost feels like a Elmore Leonard adaptation from the nineties, oh, yeah. something, yeah. something like that. Right? See, it's co-produced by Jordan Peele. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's this feels a lot more like a Jordan Peele film that's been directed by Spike Lee than it really feels like a direct Spike Lee film. If that makes sense, it feels yeah. feels much more in line with sort of Get Out, and then this being kind of the follow up to that. 
Although um, I'd, I'd say Get Out kind of tackles the subject matter a little bit stronger than this film. Yeah, does. no, no. Uh, I mean, but but kind of like coming at it with that sort of, you know, overtly comedic angle, which really, I, you know, for me, it, it, it helps to uh, leaven the material enough so that you can kind of get to those darker places um, because, you know, there's going to be, you know, some, some humor kind of coming up behind it, you know, and mm-hmm. it is, you know, kind of, if you, if you do uh, kind of follow these things or say these things, I mean, it is like this, there is this mix of, you know, humor and horror that just sort of like goes hand in hand. And I, and I think, well, the film kind of creaks along that way sometimes in terms of trying to kind of give us both of those things, trying to, you know, okay, we're going to get a horror scene, then we're going to get a fun scene and we're going to get, you know, the, the screenplay could have been massaged a bit more. I, I, I do admire the degree to which uh, it, it is able to, um, manage that without being too obvious you know um yeah it's it's a high wire act is basically what i'm saying it's trying something really difficult and the fact that it's 90 percent successful is actually like a really strong mark in his favor you know well yeah i know i mean he's trying to juggle a lot of things in here like he's not only got the police procedural thing he doesn't have just the uh the sort of fictionalized caper involving the KKK bombing plot and yeah. that stuff, you know, which is he, which is totally made up for the film. Yeah, it's not even in the book. Yeah, he, he's got that to deal with. He's also got just the conversation between people in the black community. He's got the activists mm-hmm. versus the black cop who's trying to do the right thing, and no matter what he tries to do, the activist girlfriend is still going to look at him as the enemy at the end of the day because he's working for the man, kind of thing. So they have that conversation. There's even in their conversations, there's talk about the validity of black exploitation movies and whether mm-hmm. they're just whether they're just preying on on uh, the black community or whether they're actually making any sort of difference or making any sort of points, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, he also talks about how other movies are used in that way. I mean, he, this film opens with shots from um, the name Gone, of the the Gone, Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind. It has Gone with the Wind and Birth of a Nation as well. Birth of a Nation, yeah. which is used makes a point used as propaganda. And at the same time, it's kind of funny because this is kind of Spike Lee doing a little bit of propaganda's work himself. Sure. Uh, so he, I mean, he, he's spinning a counter narrative about, you know, the way that these films are, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the, kind of the history. I mean, birth of a nation was the uh, top grossing film of all time for 25 years until it was taken over by Gone with the Wind. And, yeah, you know, which... <laughs> <laughs> and then the next one was uh, uh, Sound of Music, and that wasn't until the 60s. So, I mean, yeah. we were talking for like, you know, 40 years or so. The top grossing film of all time was, uh, you know, actively racist propaganda. You know? Yeah, and the, the Sound of Music. Oh, <laughs> races are bad when they're coming after other white people. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> But another example of him sort of deftly making this sort of a sly propaganda film at the same time, he sets this in 1972 when the events of this were 79, just so he can put a Richard Nixon poster in the background and make parallels to Donald Trump. And then, of course, he makes a really obvious Donald Trump reference at the end, which is fucking horrific. That's the bait and switch I'm talking about where... You, you get to this film, and it's like, okay, it's entertaining. There's some dark stuff. There's comedy. And then you get Donald Trump saying his shit. Oh, there were some good people on both sides. And then you yeah, get... Th- this film ends with footage from uh, Charlottesville. Yeah, uh, from the Heather Heyer. Heather Heyer. Yeah, yeah, Heather Heyer, yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, I mean, there's legitimate kind of criticism in, like, you know... I mean, I've seen... You know, I know activists from Charlottesville who will literally who, who say, like, this is exploitative and... This is not necessarily a cool thing to do. I think that, I mean, I think that that is sort of an important kind of element of this conversation as well, mm-hmm. is to kind of like say, well, does this film really earn the right to to use those images? Particularly if, you know, it is kind of a coda at the end of something that is, uh, you know, largely a, kind of a lark up until now. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm reminded of the the line that, you know, and not trying to get into this argument, you know, but the line that uh, Spike Lee had about, around Django Unchained, you know, like, slavery was not a black exploitation film. Well, yeah, but neither was the civil rights era. You know? Yeah. Neither is the fucking Klan, man. You know, like, you know, I'm, I'm not blaming Lee for making the film he wants to make i'm not you know and i'm not trying to necessarily kind of draw a direct connection there but uh you made an entertaining film about some horrific shit and he used the tools of, of a filmmaker to do that maybe other filmmakers did the same thing and again you know there is the kind That's... of complexity of like lee's legacy versus like tarantino's and so i'm not yeah. trying to make a, a direct comparison there but like he has made a, a kind of a hollywood film about you know 
the clan and he's kind of done it in this black exploitation style and it's got humor and it's you know kind of a sitcom in places and then he ends it with you know this kind of exploitative imagery you know with like real imagery from charlottesville and i i find that moment really powerful i think it's really amazingly done because the whole like thing is i mean god we haven't really talked about sort of like the theme of the film really you know i mean it's kind of got this kind of parallel it's got this conversation which is about what's the way we solve racism you know can we work within the system or do we have to work outside the system and and, you know kind of demand revolutionary change in that way right and ron stallworth is someone who believes you can change the system from within whereas uh his girlfriend what's her name i'm sorry patrice is that it yeah patrice yeah she is more of an angela davis type believes you know no we have to kind of demand our rights and kind of you know have the revolution from the outside and the 70s is this huge like this is the black panther era this is this is the era in which this this debate was definitely like happening all the time you know mm-hmm. and uh and to into a large degree it's still is still going on i mean just I can promise you it's all over my Twitter feed right now. Yeah. I mean, this 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 is a debate. This is something that, that's continually happening. And if there is kind of one great crime of the film, I th- I think more than anything, the, the way it really plays nice with the cops is kind of the one thing that I really kind of come away with. It, it, it's the, the, the one bad cop in the department and all the right. rest are... You know, good guys kind of thing. right. Yeah, every, everybody's kind of a good guy, but they're just like covering for the one bad cop. When you know, when the reality is, uh, yeah, no, it was usually like the other way around, um, a little bit more like mm-hmm. Serpico, but with like yeah. shooting black people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I do admire the way that one of the great uh, enemies of you know, kind of our heroes in terms of pursuing this is sort of an institutional blindness. You know, we're shown our kind of chief of police guy, our, our kind of the, the the sergeant or whatever is, you know, kind of a decent guy. He's kind of on board with, uh, you know, kind of going after the clan. He doesn't like this. He's, you know, kind of portrayed as a, not necessarily a, you know, kind of active anti-racist, but certainly someone who's, you know, kind of on board with, well, if you want to come and want to be a part of this, then we're going to support, you know, he's going to make at least a token effort. And he's certainly kind of portrayed sympathetically. And yet, you know, in the end, you know, really what happens is, you know, this investigation gets shut down because like, well, you know, we fought a bomb plot where it's, it's just kind of over. And Ron Stallworth is like, well, no, we got, you know, we're, we're still going after these guys. There's still a danger to this community. There's still a danger to everybody. And it's like, well, no, but, you know, we got other fish to fry here. And then, you know, at the end of the film, you know, that there's a cross burning and, and, you know, it's like the clan is still alive. And then it cuts to 40 years later in the real world. David Duke is still doing the things he's doing. He's showing up to Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017. Uh-huh. That's why it kind of gains that power. It is like you know, when the institutions fail us, when we don't have that kind of official sanctioned protection, when we, when we don't go after these things and root after them, they're allowed to fester and then they, they come back in, you know, unexpected and violent ways, you know. As a piece of art, I think it does earn that moment, whether it really earns it in kind of a big picture, you know, kind of sociopolitical way. Uh, you know, I don't live in Charlottesville. I'm not competent to judge that. Um, mm-hmm. I completely understand how, you know, pe- you know, people who were on the ground, people who did take a tiki torch to the face that day are uh, less than enthused with seeing their pain, you know, kind of used in, this, in yeah. this way. But as someone just as an admirer of the film, I do think it, it at least moves in the direction of, of, of earning it, you know. I think at the very least, it helps get those things out there that were maybe people who didn't see it. Because yeah, that, sure. it's, it's one of those things that... The way the the news cycle works, it gets buried after not even a week. Those those kind of things can be, they can just disappear like that. And then the next story is, oh, lawyers going after Donald Trump. Yeah, I see that story every fucking day. Right. But I don't, I don't see the story of the poor girl who was peacefully protesting, getting mowed down by some Nazi douchebag, you know, like, so that last scene, the, the raw footage of that gave me goosebumps watching. I was like, holy shit. I've I've watched all that footage Mm -hmm. many, many times. I can, you know, I mean, I know like the full videos from which those clips were taken in in, in most of those cases. Like I have watched all the different angles and everything. Seeing it on the big screen, as I saw this film originally on the big screen, Mm -hmm. even knowing it was coming had enormous power. I saw this with my wife and she broke down in tears at watching it. And in fact, even when I was rewatching it, she couldn't like, I had to stop the film before. It's not easy to look at. It definitely isn't. Well, also, uh, and yeah, we're not going to get into this conversation about the, uh, about how I kind of think 
Spike Lee in some instances is kind of a hypocrite when he goes after Tarantino. But points for uh, Spike Lee, though, he uses real film stock to film this. And his 1970s homage looks way better than anyone that Tarantino's done, I think. Sure. So, I mean, hey, points. You know, you're not putting film scratches and shit fake digitally on your uh, fucking film and stuff. So, I mean, I got to give you points, uh, Mr. Lee. No, the film the film looks great. I think yeah. it's, I think it really is a gorgeous film. And it, it isn't trying to look like a film shot in the 70s as much as it's trying to look like a film that is made in the or the, you know that, that that is set in the 70s it's it's yeah. a modern film that evokes that era really really but well there are definitely times when the film green comes up and you, this could be a scene out of shaft this could be a yeah. scene out of anything like that and i thought it was good i, I thought the performances were really good denzel's kid is yeah. fucking amazing he sounds john just david. like his dad too like. john david washington he is uh he's really he's really great at kind of like uh centering this film mm-hmm. he has kind of a thankless role in a lot of ways, even though he's kind of the headliner, uh, because he's really just kind of waltzing through, and then other people get to steal the scenes that he's yeah. in, you know. But I really admire, you know, he's he's able to both kind of carry the comedy and kind of carry the the narrative heft and you know, kind of the emotional heft. He sells the uh, the relationship, the the the, mm-hmm. the romantic subplot, um, which has that kind of thematic resonance. He's able to to play that off really well. I think he's, I mean, you know, <laughs> this kid's going places, you know, and he. And he yeah. He would be going places even if his dad wasn't, you know, Denzel Washington. And he's like young it. too. I think he's only like twenty five or something. Wow. Like he's yeah. Yeah, I like and I like his conversations with Adam Driver. I think Adam Driver's yeah. really good. I like the fact that he's criticizing him. He's, Adam Driver's just like it's just a job for me, and he's yeah. like, no, it ain't no fucking job for you. You're not in this. You're not invested in this. You're you're a fucking Jew. I, <laughs> I they'd string you up too, right right next to me. You know, if they had their well, chance. It's it's about um I, you know for me and uh you know with with all due respect to to uh, Washington I think Adam Driver is the real standout performance in this. Like he's <laughs> I was def- I, I, sorry I was I was talking to Paul earlier and uh, Paul was going to be on this podcast but he couldn't make it he he actually watched both films ladies and gentlemen uh, uh, which is amazing um but when when he shows up in a couple of months we'll ask him and he'll he can talk yeah. about the films then. <laughs> uh but he but he but he joked basically Adam Driver is his his twin. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> no adam driver uh i think he's he's phenomenal in this i i really don't like him much in star wars i mean i think he's fine but he's just kind of like he's just kind of doing the emo darth vader thing and like i i don't think he's bad at it i just think that it's kind of a a role well, that i don't he's a, he's a joke character he's a shot at fucking star wars fanboys is what he is right and i don't know there's you know i i really like the I last anyway sure. but I, mean... I really like the last jedi as a film and i and i i don't get the sort of the love that fandom has for this guy but you know whatever uh here i i think he's phenomenal i think mm-hmm. he's he really is you know, if if uh, Washington is asked to kind of to do the thankless role, this is this is kind of the big meaty role. But he's also playing second fiddle, and so there is this yeah. kind of you know tension there as well. I really love that he's someone who you know has to confront, like he's always had the kind of passing privilege. Yeah, we were Jewish, and it was you know, but it, I was just another white kid. I just you know, I didn't, I never really had to think about it. I, you know, he he grows up as this diaspora Jew who's like, well, you know, yeah, we're Jewish, but you know, not that Jewish. But then, yeah. how Jewish is too Jewish when you know the clan is after. <laughs> you know when when David Duke is uh, you know on the other side of a, of a phone and uh, just growing movement, and I think this is something that I think a lot of people are running into in the, you know today. You know this kind of question of well, I thought I thought I could just be an American. I thought we could just kind of get along here, and it's like well, no, they're coming after you too, you fucking yeah. shithead. You know, <laughs> yeah. and um, I really love his you know because he does have that scene where he's like, this is just a job for me, and uh, Washington kind of has the he gets to be the kind of the purity guy, he kind of gets to have the relationship with Adam Driver that Patrice has with Washington, right? Mm-hmm. Where Patrice is kind of saying, like, there's a war going on here. There's like, there's, this is more important than, like, your feelings about how we feel about cops. <laughs> Washington gets this moment of, like, no, there's a bigger, there is a bigger battle here that, that you're you're missing it because you're thinking of it as just a job. It's just something you're doing because, no, it's, it's bigger than that. Driver really has to kind of go through his own kind of emotional response to that and i really love that that scene where he's um you know kind of sitting there and he's like looking at the the membership card to the clan yeah and he's and like, I don't it's just this really quiet dialogue scene and it's just it's just heartbreaking in a lot of ways because it is this man you know kind of coming to terms with like look at this thing we're doing here you know <laughs> like, yeah um 
no, I just I, I think it's a phenomenal performance. I think he's also um he really sells it as this guy who could infiltrate this group, who could sort of like be charming in that kind of toxic smarmy way. Right. He could ingratiate himself with the racists by just saying more racist things than they do, you know? It's like, oh, I think the Holocaust yeah. is a beautiful thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, the, the Jewish lie detector test. and the, like, Oh, God. And the, the really crazy off-the-wall fucking clan member who, yeah. in, in, you know, in a 90s context, he'd be like the meth head, right? He'd be like the meth head mm-hmm. clan member or whatever. Yeah. The Holocaust, I don't think it happened. And then Adam Driver comes <laughs> with a brilliant million response. Views, eight yeah. million views, like that, like, you know, whatever. And, 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 and Adam Driver's, I think the Holocaust is beautiful, because what else are you going to do with Jews? You got to kill them, you know? <laughs> and, and, he, and he gives the exact, like, logic. He goes, mm-hmm. you know, like, look, you got these people in your society, they're causing all these problems, you got to do something about them, you know, like do it efficiently like this is this is one of the great success stories this should be something we shout from the rooftops here um, i've seen uh, i've seen racists have these conversations between each other too from time to time like the more extreme fucking more evil racist talking to like the casual racist there really is a a line of well we don't think the holocaust happened but it really should have is sort of yeah that, you know and and of course uh, we do not uh, we do not uh, trade in holocaust and on this podcast we are uh, no you know, you know, we're we're kind of laughing about this because what else do you do but kind of laugh at this? You know, well, that's that's kind of the approach the film takes in a certain degree. It's like yeah. you got to kind of laugh at these people because otherwise, it's way too horrific to even fucking fathom. You know, like right. And um, I, I love Topher Grace in this. You can speak a lot <laughs> more on whether this is true to David Duke's character or not, but I thought it was pretty scary. Like not even just in looks, but in the mm-hmm. way he talks and does it. Like I thought. Yeah, yeah uh, David Duke is uh, not a fan of this movie, I should say, which is <laughs> reason enough to see it regardless. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. David Duke is really pissed off about this. Apparently, he's writing a book now where he's going to, uh, you know, basically debunk the lies of black Klansmen. So, oh, the, uh, the the movie that's not based on a real true story, right? Yeah, <laughs> really. He's, he's gonna he's gonna debunk it. Sell some sell some copies of his terrible. Oh, uh, sure, the audio book will be great. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Spoiler alert, I have listened to the audiobook of David Duke's My Awakening, which is basically Mein Kampf for uh, the, the 90s crowd. And it is 40, it is not 42 hours. It is 40 hours and 10 minutes of absolutely excruciating, <laughs> let's whine about the Jews. That's yeah. all David Duke does. He whines about the fucking Jews. Yeah, no, he doesn't like this movie. I, you know, it's funny that like the... A lot of the kind of the history, you know, like the like kind of the racist rhetoric, sort of the stuff that's in the film mm-hmm. feels a little bit divorced from time because like the film is supposed to take place in 72. Well, David Duke was like a college kid at this point. You know, it really should be set in like 78. That's that's kind of more right. when the stuff was really happening. You know, 78, 79, 80, you know, kind of in that era that, you know, and um, I didn't even realize it was supposed to be 72 until I was kind of looking at it. <laughs> now I'm like, because <laughs> this is so obviously, if you know anything about David Duke, this is his like late 70s activity. This is the early 70s this is come on that's ridiculous you know david duke was like 19 years old in 1972 but whatever um (laughs) uh no he's um it does kind of match like topher grace is too charming is kind of the one kind of problem Mm -hmm. uh that david duke himself is just kind of a horrendous bore at least now if you look at kind of like interviews he did at the time and stuff that he was you know when like in the kind of mid to late seventies, he did have this, this kind of like weirdo charm to him. And he was able to kind of do a give and take with, with uh, interviewers and such, you know, I feel like Topher Grace is just a little bit blank, just a little bit like he doesn't quite kind of have that, that kind of edge to him that, that Duke often uh, did. You know, well, I, I feel like, I feel like it's played in the film as everything you see, like, his his sort of public persona is just all artifice like it's just right it's it's just oh i'm the dorky white guy that's kind of likable and he's got some <laughs> radical ideas and he says really stupid milk toast white things but he's also always listening to everybody at the same time and there's little moments here and there where he comes up with little sly things like what's this flip thing you know where uh they're about to expose adam driver as the undercover yep. cop and he's like, what? What? Did, what's this flip garbage you? This guy was talking about with you, and and you know, so he's he's not as dumb and uh, just sort of clueless dork as he puts on in his public persona. He's actually a pretty sly, calculating yeah, no, piece he's, of he's, shit. You know, and 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 Duke himself in real life is is a sly 
calculating mm. character. I mean, that, that's definitely true. I love the, I mean, just as someone who kind of knows this stuff, like I love, you know, William Shockley, the inventor of the transistor, the greatest scientist of the modern age, which is literally straight out of David Duke's book. Like, it's like <laughs> <laughs> William Shockley did co-invent the transistor and he did end up being like a horrifying racist in terms of like, you know, <laughs> defending race and IQ data and all that kind of stuff. He has Ugh. proven scientifically, you see, that, uh, that the black race is uh, inferior mentally to to the white race, and you know that. Oh, I I love separation. I gotta say, I I love the way that whole sequence. There, it cuts back oh. and forth between the clan meeting, which is in this dingy the clan initiation. Looking, the clan initiation, yeah, which is which is uh, where like Adam Driver is being initiated into the clan, like being anointed with oil, and they're they're kind of doing that thing. Um, yeah. So the clan stuff happens in this kind of dingy, dark, not nice looking place. That's just mm-hmm. kind of sad and pathetic. It's like, it's just a few of them. And then it goes to the Harry Belafonte parts of him talking about the uh, lynching. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, which is a real story, by the way, yeah. that's, that's, that's an actual lynching that's being described. A uh, very famous one uh, from 1916. So, And he's, and he, and that's much more, uh, and of course, this is again a kind of a propaganda thing from Spike Lee, but it's very effective. Where Harry Belafonte's character talking about the lynching, it's this very warm, together place with with it feels like a family environment with all these a big room of people all listening mm-hmm. to him talk, tell this tale and like learning the lessons. You also get a bit of that. Um, when the uh, black activist guy shows up at the college, yeah, and, and, and Qu- does the Kwame Ture, uh, yeah, Carmichael uh, Kwame Ture, yeah, yeah, um, and that and that's a very uh, you know like you're literally listening to this guy talk, and then you're seeing the people in the crowd, and we just get lots of like shots of their faces. They're just swept up with this sort of I don't want to say reverence, I don't think that's but but just this sort of like they're realizing their own human. They're being spoken to as human beings by someone who says, "No, you can be. You are beautiful. You." They, you are black mm-hmm. you do not have to be apologetic for being black and in the you know even today that's a powerful like message i mean that's yeah the, that's why like even like representation in films which gets like a lot of you know a lot of this sort of you know reactionary you know people kind of you know like why do you have to have a black ghostbuster or whatever but it's like no this shit, the shit matters you know like there's a, uh yeah that's one of the uh that's one of the big messages in this film that Basically, one of the under, underlying messages is you can be yourself. You don't have to pretend to be a white person, you know, to fit yeah. in. I mean, although, although you know, an African-American in, you know, 1970s or, or even today, you know, feeling like they have to, you know, kind of ad- adapt to, you know, kind of a white supremacist society and right. you know, sort of like how, and, and finding that, you know, question of their identity is a, is a huge kind of question. And that's something. That, yeah. It's just kind of the the nature of the nature of the beast, and I would never like criticize a, someone who felt like they had to, you know, kind of pretend to be something they're not in order to, to fit in, you know, to, to make a living or to just be accepted or just to not be accosted going down the street. And it is like an, an indictment on our society that that's necessary. That's mm-hmm. unfortunate. All the stuff is in there, you know. And I've I've I actually watched the film twice this week yeah. you know, intentionally. I was I liked it, but had problems with it on the first watch, and then it kind of grew in my mind, and I did put it on my top ten list. Uh, rewatching it, I've come to like like it more each time I've seen it. I think it's got a real narrative power. It's got it's asking some really interesting questions. I don't know that the answers it reaches are necessarily the answers that I agree with, particularly in terms of kind of the way it, it lionizes police departments. I think that's a, you know, yeah. But I think it, it's it's really really well done, and I think it really is kind of worthy of the accolades it gets. Is it perfect? No, but I think it is an important film. I think it is really kind of, it speaks to the times in a way that I think that it's, it's some of that's been overlooked in terms of the kind of conversation around it It is just how, you know, as someone who like tracks the like furthest right people I can find (laughs) in the world, or certainly in the United States, as someone who kind of understands this rhetoric, uh, sorry, this is something I was going to mention is that like, when you listen to like David Duke's radio shows, like in the film and stuff, Mm -hmm. And they're supposed to be in kind of the early seventies or the kind of early to late seventies or whatever. Some of you know some of the rhetoric doesn't strike me as like it. It, it strikes me as slightly more modernized. Um, and in the kind of the Alec Baldwin uh, kind of thing at the beginning, <laughs> you know, it kind of feels part George Lincoln Rockwell, part Richard Spencer, part you know, it's kind of got like it's kind of pulling from different ideas from all over the place. And so it does seem to be kind of slightly out of time, slightly anachronistic um, to me. And I but I think that also kind of like sells it as something that that there's a universal element to it. Like it, it's not 
not really set in 1972. It's set in this sort of yeah, you know, world of world of racism. It's like racism <laughs> Disneyland almost. You know, it's sort of the world it's set in. Yeah, I sort of I sort of viewed the uh, I was watching the Alec Baldwin stuff. And I was like, that's basically Gavin McGinnis without the beard. It's, it's just, <laughs> and that's yeah, him no. doing his bad takes and shit. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you could, you could, I mean, I mean, we could go through it like with a, with a marker and you could pull out little bits of it and go, oh, that's from George Lincoln Rockwell's White Power. Oh, that's from Gavin mm-hmm. McGinnis. Or that's from, you know, like Richard Spencer. Or that's from, you know, a lot of it is from David Duke, you know, and, and, you know, yeah. oh, that's from like clan literature from the late seventies and that kind of stuff. So, you know, you can, you can kind of pick it apart. It does seem like it was sort of a uh, written to be sort of like, uh, you know, evoking different kinds of ideas and just kind of all kind of in one, in one place. But yeah, no, that's just really powerful. One uh, character I would like to mention while we're, while we're here um, mm-hmm. is uh, the, the wife, Connie Kendrickson, I guess. Oh Ashley yeah. Atkinson is her name. So the guy who does the, the Jew detector, lie detector yeah. test in the basement, his wife, who is very long suffering. I really love this actress in this. I think she's mm-hmm. really great at, at kind of being the hardcore white supremacist wife who wants to be involved in the movement, but is suffering under like the, the structures of patriarchy <laughs> and um, isn't, isn't allowed to play guns with the boys. Yeah. But, like is actually in a lot of ways, even more hardcore than they are in terms of like, I mean, she actively, you know, is is a uh, calling for you know like outright extermination of all non-white people. You know, she's thing. so happy for her husband that he's finally going to get to kill some black people. Like, yeah, no, it's like, great. I knew you could do it, honey. Yeah. It's like Jesus. And then, but but I mean, this this also there's a real dynamic of that when you kind of look at the role of women in these movements, particularly in the modern move. You know, they they either get kind of stuck to being you know kind of like homemakers in the background, kind of raising white children, or they're even in order to sort of be accepted in the, you know, as people get to talk, they have to be even more extreme and even more hardcore than, than the most hardcore they, ones. They have to be she wolf of the SS basically. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it just, it strikes me as just like really kind of knowing, I mean, you know, the people who wrote, like knew what the fuck they were talking about with, with some yeah. of this stuff. Like it, it feels, even though it, it's kind of a comedic uh, performance and it is kind of played for laughs a lot of times. And it is kind of played as, as this kind of almost like sitcom, you know, like, yeah, you know, this, this, uh, you know, they're lying in bed and talking about the coming race war, and, you know, like, <laughs> but uh, despite it being kind of over the top, it's not that over the top. And it feels like very uh, it's, it's hitting some, some kind of real moments there. And I, and I thought that yeah. was really powerful. And I think, again, that's a, there's not a weak performance in this, but I think she no. really gets, uh, she really deserves kind of extra credit for being as good as she is and as memorable as she is in this film. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, so this is going to go on my best of list for first time watches this year. Sure. Definitely. I enjoyed it. We'll go to a little bit of trivia here. Contrary to popular belief, the real Ron Stallworth never used a white voice on the phone. Uh, <laughs> um, so, Are uh, you sure? <laughs> <laughs> Topher Grace said in an interview with uh, IndieWire that portraying David Duke left him feeling depressed. So as a catharsis, Mm -hmm. uh, he took on the project of editing Peter Jackson's trilogy of films based on The Hobbit into a single two-hour movie. (laughs) Oh, so he did two great things that year. Can we see Uh, that, please? Like, I might actually watch those films if it was like a two-hour Hobbit movie instead of... Yeah, that that might be good. Uh, I hope he did that. I hope he did that while wearing the clan robes, you know? Like, (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know... Like in the corner on the set, you know, he's sitting there with like Final Cut Pro and a laptop, you know, like editing that together. I could see that. Gandalf's not the only wizard in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing another kind of white wizard. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually was thinking I was rewatching this scene or that 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 sequence in the in the basement, and I was, mm-hmm. you know, I did have this moment of like I could like see myself like trying to infiltrate and like wearing the clan robes. Then I could see my, like, I was literally like, I had this like emotional moment of, I just kind of wanted to throw up even thinking about it, you know, Mm -hmm. like it was just, you know, and and it, I I can only imagine, you know, you're an actor and so you're kind of used to putting on costumes and that sort of thing. But, you know, like to, to perform this guy to actually like be this in a, in a film and to try to do it honestly and to, and, and just like putting that on and kind of like 
wearing those those clothes it's it's, it's like it's got to be really really tough it must have been moment, tough you know? but i i can see why he jumped at the same time because I oh mean, yeah no he desperately needs to get away from being known as eric foreman for the rest of his mm-hmm. life right i you would know? i would i would love to see him as as david duke in a david duke like biopic i could i could mm-hmm. see him doing that i think he would be phenomenal at yeah. Also, uh, when he was, he spent a month researching David Duke, including reading Duke's autobiography and watching footage of him, Grace claimed that he found Duke to be even more of a racist than he had assumed, which goes to towards <laughs> his public persona kind of thing, but found most frightening Duke's ability to make himself charming to an audience in spite of his racism, and that is what he wanted to come through in his performance. So what you were speaking to there, Daniel, uh, or speaking about, speaking to, that's not a real uh speaking about, it's uh, i i don't like that phrase um but what you're speaking about how maybe he comes up a little too charming in the film compared to the real guy yeah i can see that spike lee and his writers moved the story back seven years like we said uh this allowed the film to reference both then the trendy black exploitation movies and the re-election campaign of nixon that was supported by the clan of course and of course as we said real david duke called ron stallworth to express his concern over his buffoonish, cartoonish, idiot portrayal in the film. And Duke also said he respected director Spike Lee. After seeing the film, he was not pleased that the film did not follow the events of the book. David Duke did not actually discover that Ron Stallworth was black until 2006, apparently. (laughs) So I I guess it was a Miami Herald reporter uh, contacted him for his side of the story uh, around then. And then he apparently he was surprised that it was a black man. I guess he was never... because. He's not really, in, in the actual real story, again, like we said, he only talked to him once. It's not like he came to Colorado and met him. Right, right, yeah, no, there, there's no, there's no, like, all that's, all that's just for the film, so, yeah, yeah no. Movie did fairly well. Budget was only a sort of a modest fifteen million, which is yeah. yeah. And box office was ninety million, so it did really well. Um, this looks great for fifteen million. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, like it's this is you know a period film made with like real actors for fifteen million dollars. I mean, yeah, no, that's that's phenomenal. And I mean, these days, half that budget would be just for the fucking celluloid. And Universal Pictures Home Entertainment 2018 DVD and Blu-ray, if you want to find it. I assume Amazon as well, right? I just uh, bought the digital version on on Amazon because I just was like, yeah, I'm going to want to own this. And I don't necessarily need a physical copy. I can just, you know, now I can just watch it whenever I want to on Amazon. So, you know, yeah, I I, I just bought it. So it was, it's, front looks great. Um, You know. Of course it does. It's a film from last year, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So coming up, we're going to be looking at the other Black Klansmen from 1962, I believe? 66, I think. 66? 66, Okay. Yeah, Yeah, and we're also going to be looking at Tick, Tick, Tick. And then we're going to do Truck Turner. Let's uh, get back into some some nice... uh, Black exploitation that uh, mm-hmm. doesn't really care about these issues. You know, <laughs> we, we can get away from the politics a little bit. Yep. And then we're going to finish off with The Intruder with uh, William Shatner being a yep. racist. <laughs> Which is uh, another another film. You know, we're just going to keep talking about the Klan. That's kind of the mm-hmm. thing, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, there, there is another film. There is a uh, another film, a um, what's his name? Lee Marvin film called The Klansman. Which I saw on Amazon Prime, and uh, you know we might—I don't know—we'll see if we if we have the time to throw that one in. I think it might go well with the imposter, um, because that's based on the uh, the real story of the. I've heard the movie is terrible, but uh, it's actually based on the real story of the uh, Mickey Schwerner, JC, and uh, Goodwin Goodman, uh, who were uh, the uh, the three children who were the three teenagers who were killed in the real events that uh, became the story of Mississippi Burning. Okay. Um, sorry, I'm now like babbling a little bit because I forgot all the names. But um, <laughs> no, it it is based on those events, and uh, it's based on like a real book that was written. That I've read that book, so uh, you know we can. I don't know. We'll look at that. Maybe maybe we can throw that on with the yeah. um, with the imposter. But... We'll see. We're not necessarily restricted. Intruder, Rest- excuse me, but yeah, we're not necessarily uh, restricted to February for this. So uh, yeah. we'll just we just. I mean, anyone who's listened to this podcast long enough now knows we just do what the fuck we want. We don't. Yeah. <laughs> We don't constrict ourselves necessarily. So, yeah, that's what's coming up. Uh, Daniel, where can people find you on the interwebs? You can find me on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. I'm mostly talking about Nazis these days. If you want to listen to me talk about David Duke for about 85 minutes, there's a whole podcast of me doing that. Um, I don't speak German. Episode 2 was all about David Duke. Episode 
four and five are all about the Unite the Right rally, and our three and four are all about the Unite the Right rally. If you do want to listen to me talk about all the things that I know about this world that I've hinted at in this podcast, uh, go check out that podcast, I Don't Speak German, Lipson.com. Yeah, we'll link that uh, as uh, show notes. Uh, extra, extra material for those of you who actually want to dig deeper into this stuff, uh, who actually aren't mad at us for talking politics in a, in a movie <laughs> podcast for so long. Oh man. I, I can't wait to get the comments on this one. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think all the fucking racists stopped listening to us a long time ago. So, well, I mean, I, I hope they're listening. Honestly, I hope we make them really mad. Well, yeah, that'd be cool too. I mean, you know, yeah. fuck you guys. <laughs> tell yeah. us, tell us how wrong we are. Tell us we're all cucks or some shit. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know at all what it's like to make racists mad. <laughs> no, no, you have no experience at all. Um, you can find us by at... just telling telling people what you believe, <laughs> and you get mad at me for that. Like, <laughs> congratulations, guys. Yeah, Sorry, go ahead. You can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com, where you can find our Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Facebook links. And yeah, until next time, thank you for listening, guys. Thank you, Daniel, and uh, we'll be back. Cheers. Thanks a lot.
You've been listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For other episodes, our links to Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and our Facebook group, as well as links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>